As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Alistair, as you've mentioned, one of the big topics that's obviously explored in this book is science. And I suppose particularly the tension between perhaps science and technology on one side and kind of spiritual and the supernatural on the other side. I mean, he's touched on this in the other novels as well. But how does Lewis address this perceived conflict between kind of, I guess, God and science? And and what are some of the insights that we can gain from Lewis's approach here? Well, I think one of the things that Lewis is bringing out here is that science easily becomes a god. That in effect, this is the only solution we have to our problems. So we go down this way. Um, and the, the real difficulty, I think, is, is that Lewis brings out how this is a false god. This is going to end end up badly, if I can put it very, very simply. And one of the points that Lewis is really making is it's very, very easily to deify something as human in the hope that this will solve our problems. Uh, And of course, one of the key points to make here is that sometimes what we think is the way ahead turns out to be something that is not simply a dead end, but in committing ourselves to that process, we in effect take the lid off Pandora's box. And as a result, an awful lot of things come out that we can't actually control. And one of the points that Lewis, I think, brings out very, very clearly is that um, the National Institute for Coordinate Experiments is unleashing forces and realities that we can't control. That in effect, once they're out there, we can't stop them. And that this, this explains the remarkably dysfunctional nature of the final part of this novel where everything just goes hopelessly hideously wrong and Lewis's point is well what do you expect this is this is what happens when you do this sort of thing so Lewis Ang is really bringing out very clearly that we are in danger of um, unlocking things that we are not really meant to unlock now, let me make one point, which I think many people overlook. Um, Lewis's book, The Hideous Strength, was published on, I think it was June, August 16th, 1945. 
That is just 10 days after the first atomic bomb was detonated. And Lewis's message in this book is partly, are we as human beings opening Pandora's box, unleashing forces that do something for us at the moment, but then will terrorize us or in effect make it much more difficult for us to exist in this world. And many people reading this novel said, Lewis has a very important point here. The atomic age may give us cheap power, but unleashes factors we really can't control. Alistair, why do you think the majority of the, the, I'm just going to call it the NICE, the National Institute of Coordinated Experiments, why do you think so many of them seem to be quite opposed to Christianity? Well, I think Lewis is portraying this society as kind of way an elite group of people with hidden agendas. That's a very important point, um, which only really becomes clear as the novel unfolds. But his point is that a group primarily men, um, sociologists and scientists um, are in effect going to change us and going to in effect propel us into a future which we turn out to be um, unable to face because we've been re-engineered and it all goes very, very badly wrong. What I think we see here is Lewis um, in effect saying, look, there are two ways in which religion is being challenged in the moment. One is a kind of sociological critique. This is simply something that emerges from our past, from our social situation. There is a scientific critique. This is this just amounts from our evolutionary background. Science is going to displace us altogether. By bringing these together, Lewis, in effect, is giving us a way of um, seeing a united front against religion, which proves to be very, very damaging, not just for religion, but for the world. And Lewis is, in effect, saying we've got to be critical of these developments, A, because look where they take us, and B, because actually their own intellectual foundations are rather shallow. They don't have the intellectual force that their proponents suggest they do. Now, there's an interesting passage where the narrator's kind of the narrator's describing the shift in science and in scientists from the sort of pure materialism of the 19th century scientists to the seemingly more open-minded scientists of of modern day in the book modern day. Do you think that is a fair observation of sort of moving from the pure materialism to a bit more openness towards spirituality, Alistair? And, and do you think that's impacted Christian belief among scientists today? Well, you're right. This, this is a theme in the book that in effect... Um science by itself is very important, but it doesn't answer all of our questions and it doesn't actually meet some deep inner existential needs. And certainly this is a theme that Lewis makes at multiple points in his books, both novels and indeed his more reflective works. But I think one thing you you can see clearly here is, is Lewis suggesting that even in this stronghold of secularism, because that's really what's being portrayed like, so a stronghold of secular scientism and sociology, people are aware that there's more to life than their theories are saying. And I think that's a, a point Lewis wants us to appreciate, because 
If you take a writer like Sam Harris, one of the new atheists, who is very, very critical of the idea of God, for, I think, very inadequate reasons, I have to say. But one of the points he makes is we seem to need spirituality and something about us human beings, which means we need that. So you might say Sam Harris, uh, as a writer and a scientist, is actually exhibiting the same trends that Lewis is identifying as being emblematic of the inadequacy of a purely scientific approach in that hideous strength. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. We need to take a short break, but before we get back to the discussion, I want to invite you to take a look at a new unbelievable course. It's called Did It Really Happen? The Birth of Jesus. Perhaps you've been asked questions about the historicity of Jesus, or maybe you have questions of your own. We've made an in-depth course with experts and theologians diving into the historical accuracy and arguments for and against the Jesus birth narratives. You will be guided through all areas of the discussion with N.T. Wright, Emil Ewing, Daryl Bock and others. Check it out by visiting premierunbelievable.com slash courses. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' death, resurrection and return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' death, resurrection and return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. I mean, one of the things they talk about is technocracy, I think is how you say it, that, you know, one of the characters says that the human race is to become all technocracy. What is that? And was Lewis um, sort of putting into his mouth an opinion that was prevalent during his day? Well, yes. Um, basically, what, what Lewis is saying is that it is by the mastering of technology that we have a future as human beings. And this technology is going to take us to some very good places. And the key point is, of course, that it takes us to some very bad places because it enslaves us. Now, Lewis and Tolkien talked about this a lot, and Tolkien used the image of the machine. The machine is a society that's been taken over by technology. And Tolkien actually had a very dark view of technology, um, which was really created by his own experience in the First World War, where technology then for Tolkien was great big guns shelling him from a distance and killing people around him. And he's very, very dark about that. Um, and Lewis, I think, is, is reflecting a very similar point, which is actually, uh, if put, like, put like this, um, uh, te technology becomes technocracy in which we are ruled by uh, machines. And in fact, they take things over. And indeed, you know, in the last 
few months, increased anxiety is being expressed about artificial intelligence precisely because something created as a tool looks as if it might well take over aspects of our identity and existence. People are going to get very worried about this. These are the issues Lewis is raising in this book. Well, I was going to say it would be really interesting to put some of Lewis's thoughts into some of these modern ideas that we've got around artificial intelligence. I mean, do you think there is anything that Lewis would have said about AI if it was something that had come into being while he was working and writing about these well, issues? Well, a point that Lewis makes again and again is, look, you invent this thing, you think it's going to be great, and then the invention moves in directions on its own and does things you didn't no, it could do or would want it to do. And I think that what, what we see in some of our recent conversations in, in wider culture about the future of artificial intelligence is a growing realization that this tool might become a master. And one of the real concerns about artificial intelligence is that it's portrayed as a kind of universal form of reasoning, which is valid for all people. Well, it's not. There are particular kinds of rationality in the world. Some of, some of these are shaped by gender, some by race, some by social location. And in effect, by making one of these universal, you are in effect saying a specific human rationality is being presented as a universal rationality, which will therefore colonize or enslave parts of the human race. So there's a real concern here. And uh, the question that Lewis is really raising in that hideous strength is, what on earth do we do? How do we stop this? It, it, uh, it, it is nice unstoppable? You know, that, that's a key question. And I think the real difficulty we all face now is, well, now we've opened this Pandora's box, can we put the lid back on the jar? Because Lewis is really saying, I don't think we can. And that's why we really need to think these things through properly. Alistair, do you think it would be possible, scientifically speaking, as a scientist yourself, to conduct some of the experiments that they do at NICE? Well, I think um, some of them um, do seem a little bit odd. But the point I'd want to make is that Lewis <laughs> is saying these are all credible, plausible. And uh, I think, for example, if we look at one of them, and this is, for example, uh, I'm just going to make sure I get the quote exactly right, because it, it's such an important um, point. This is Philos, Dr. Philostrato, okay, who is really a very significant figure, I think represents uh, sort of a, an unbridled, unrestrained application of science to everything. You know, where in effect, he says, look, you know, we can, in effect, replace everything by... Um, by, by by scientific constructions. Um, uh, for example, you know, we, we don't need natural trees. We can have um, uh, artificial trees. Everything in can be remastered using scientific tools and scientific principles. And the key point is that, you know, um, he's saying science just is able to improve everything. And that means life will be so much simpler in the future. But uh, Dr. Philostrato's world has no trees, no birds. You know, it is purely scientific creation. Uh, and Lewis is saying, look, what on earth happens to us in this radical reshaping of the natural world? It's a, it's a dystopia. Uh, people think this is going to be great. And then, of course, it all goes wrong. We've got even Mark, who is portrayed in the, in the narrative as being a little bit naive, says, look, what you're proposing sounds, and I quote, like abolishing pretty well all organic life. 
And that's the theme from abolition of man, that what you're proposing actually is the abolition of humanity because we become something quite different because we've been mechanically or scientifically re-engineered. So Lewis Anger is really raising some very important questions here. Uh, I wonder sometimes what Lewis would think if he were able to step into our present day and see what has happened since his time. Well, he also, didn't he, for for, for Phil Strato, however you say his name, he also uh, sort of wanted to eliminate sex, didn't he? He says... um, there will never be peace and order and discipline as long as there is sex. When a man has thrown it away, then he will finally become governable. Again, that's, I guess, him sort of touching on this getting rid of all all organic life. But but that feels quite extreme. I mean, do we know if he was echoing a particular opinion that Lewis would have known about? Well, yes, yes. I mean, basically, um, that this is quite a uh, quite a widespread opinion in in more advanced social circles, particularly during the 1920s, although actually it kept going way into the 30s. And it's the idea, look, um, we can redirect the social process. We can, the, the science of eugenics, eugenics became very influential. And in effect, it was about preventing certain kinds of people from reproducing because they would they would lead to, if you like, a dilution of the gene pool. So therefore you stop certain people having children. You stop certain people doing certain things. It's all about social control, which produces um, a better human future. And for example, Mary Stopes um, in London was arguing for artificial contraception because she didn't want the working class to reproduce. Uh, it's a very, very disturbing a way of thinking. Um, but it was there. And Lewis is picking up on that and saying, look, we can't do this. We've got to, in effect, find some way of enabling human beings to be human beings, while at the same time, try and deal with the problems that face us in the world today. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.